What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my fantabulistic co-host, Grant Hughes. Dude, we have NBA Hot or Not to get to, and I would like to remind anyone watching or listening, just fucking subscribe already, please. We love you all. Hit that sub button, download everything, like, comment on videos on YouTube, help the community grow. But we need to dig into everything that's happening. We have to ask the most important question first. Grant, how the hell are you doing? Is the jersey fitting okay? Jersey fits great. Uh, we are on to Too Hot or Not, which was, you know, hat tip to, and we'll do their question first or take first. But Jolt the Goat uh, came up with this idea in Discord where the listeners in our Discord, just our Discord, and we had an overwhelming number of responses, will give us their takes their, that they consider hot, but they actually believe, and we will react to them and decide whether they're too hot or they're not, which isn't to say like, oh, this is lame or not hot enough, but that, okay, this might be a little bit unhinged, but it's the right amount of unhinged. Yeah. The correct, that's what we're looking for is the correct amount of, of uh, unhinged. I love it. Yeah. So this was, a, the responses, again, like I said, were overwhelming. We ha- we're going to try and get to all of them and Grant and I are going to try and have a banner pace from here on out. Um, I will start us off and we'll okay. rotate through them. And we, some of, we have like a few of them are related uh, a lot of Cavs ones. And look, shout out to, I know you went through them. The lack of big market inquiries here is just like so on brand for our listeners. I love it. Where it's like, we care more about like the Pistons and the Jazz and the Hornets um, than we do. Like, we don't need to talk about the Lakers. And so I really appreciate that because we've had enough conversations about all those teams. And so that even made me think, not more, but it was just very appreciative. That's just like, oh, we have these people who are listening that actually care about these non-flagship franchises and they don't despise us enough to the point where they're actually sticking around and asking us about them. I appreciate that. No, we, we cover the crevices. Like that's, it seems like that's the crevices. <laughs> so let's start here with Jolt the Goat, which this might've been, my God, the toughest one to wrap my head around. Uh, Jaden Ivey is the transcendent star on the Pistons and not Cade Cunningham. Cade is good at everything on the court, but he doesn't have any game-breaking skills to push him into that true heliocentric star role that many think he'll be. His lack of first-step quickness will lead to a lot of mid-range jumpers, which will keep him from being a high-efficiency scorer, and he lacks the true shooting touch to be a high-volume scorer on off-the-dribble threes. Jaden Ivey is the guy with undeniable athleticism to throw defenses into rotation and force open looks for himself and shooters against the highest levels of defense. Grant Hughes. Too hot or not? It's a little too hot, but just barely. And that's why I I, I love this question. I, it was I was the first one that I looked at. Um, it just barely. And so the, to me, this is a question about ceiling. That's that's like really all. That's how I have to sort of like parse it out. And what what you're saying, if 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 you don't think this is too hot, is that Ivy has certain qualities that if he maximizes them, give him a better chance to be like the best player on a championship team type of offensive force. So, and and that Cade does not have those things. And so like everything that is in the question is like, it's, it's fair. Like the, you know, Cunningham so far doesn't have like the elite athleticism, the way to just completely collapse a defense, like someone like Ivy who's super athletic, super fast, like has some of that, like just watching the, the highlights from the Bucks game, I watched, you know, just to kind of refresh, you know, the, the comparison in my mind, like Cunningham had a better game statistically. I think he had 27 and, you know, a bunch of other counting stats. Ivy was in the teens somewhere, but Ivy's highlights just pop. Right. And that's the reason you're getting this type of question is he, he does things athletically that a handful of guys can do. Cade is like, the, you know, even even when he was picked first overall, I feel like looking back at that draft class, the thought was 
I'm not sure about the ceiling on him, but man, he's definitely going to be very good. Like, but great might be out of the question. And it's obviously way too early to say that, but like, yeah, Ivy just explodes and Cunningham has to use craft and, and like change of pace and his size and, and, you know, to accomplish the same kind of things, just a couple stats, like to push back a little bit. So Kate is scoring on unassisted baskets more frequently than Ivy is right now. It's like stupid early. It's seven games or whatever it is into Ivy's career when we're recording this, like that seems likely to change, but just at the moment, Cunningham is a more self-sufficient source of offense and he's a better facilitator so far. So I think that's, if that's, that's a big point in Cade's favor. Cade's also improved a lot as a pick and roll ball, pick and roll ball handler. That's a big facet of being like the, you know, not transcendent star, but like the engine of offense on a good team. I think Cunningham has to work a lot harder. Um, he's not as good as, as Ivy already at drawing fouls, which is just speaks to the way Ivy explodes and just puts a defense on his heels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little too hot, but like, I get it. I get the idea that if both players get to the level where they're like as good as they can be, then maybe Ivy is like that type of guy and Cunningham maybe isn't. I, and this was in the spirit of the exercise. So I appreciate the thought. And it really made me think I, we need to like, let's see Cade play an entire season first. And I know we're worried about the efficiency and there's sort of the seesawing aggression levels here. I can't bring myself to care about the efficiency. He's up to like 35 plus percent on catch and shoot threes. That's fine for me. When you look at the jumper, even the pull-ups or the step backs, I think it's fine. You probably want it to, you know, we're at the point where it seems like Scotty Barnes is processing or going through the motions of those a lot quicker than Cade Cunningham. I don't know that he needs to be super quick. I look at his ability to manipulate the defense Mm -hmm. at more of a deliberate cadence as a huge asset. And it's, it's reflected in the way that the, the Pistons play Already, I mean, look, their effective field goal percentage this year increases by almost 12 points when he's on the floor. And you can say that Jaden Ivey is a rookie, and so does it matter that Detroit has an offensive rating of 124 when Cade plays without Ivy versus 97.2 when Ivy plays without Cade? Again, I'm going to throw that out and say it doesn't matter, but like Cade Cunningham is already there to where now that you've given him some space to operate with Boyan Bogdanovich on the floor, he's really able to pick things apart. And I do think a lot of the efficiency will come later. Do I want half of his jumpers to come from mid-range even when he's taking them at a 47% clip right now? No, I don't. I don't think that that's sustainable or smart. But we've also seen someone like DeMar DeRozan carve out an all-NBA caliber career while being a player who probably operates at, yeah, there was more explosion in prime DeMar DeRozan and even probably now than Cade Cunningham. But like, he can be that type of a, just break down these set defenses player where I don't know if Jaden Ivey will already get there. I do see to Jaden Ivey's credit more than I did when I was crash coursing for the draft. When people compared him to John Morant, I see it now. I thought it was like, a, it could be like a very lazy comp, but there are moments when you really see it with his decision-making. I trust his ability to shoot more than I did with him coming into the league. So I understand, I guess, why, based off what we've already seen, you could go that route because Jaden Ivey is sort of wowed maybe more than Cade did with his efficiency early on in his career. I think the better efficiency is going to come. And even if Cade doesn't give you as much as that, you know, foul line pressure, um, rim pressure, he's just going to be the more transcendent player to me because of how he will be able to elevate his teammates, whether he's working within tight spaces or open spaces. And look, let's not discount that we're talking a lot of this has to do with physical traits, but this is someone who is, they list him at 6'6". He feels like he's bigger than that and is going to probably be what I think a really rock solid, if not better asset 
defensively long term. So I would call this not even a little too hot for me. I think it's way too hot, but maybe this is just more testament than it is of, oh, well, Cade is eh. It's just like, well, Jay Ivey has really just sort of blown us away. Yeah, I think it, it also kind of comes down, into, in addition to being about the ceiling for these guys, it comes down to like which which unteachable qualities are more valuable because they each have like certain attributes that sort of are just inborn that you're not going to coax out of a player like or probably not like ivy's athleticism is just like that's just rare and you can't like make a guy be able to move around the floor the way that he does but cunningham i think too his ability to kind of get to a spot at whatever pace he needs to go to get there like that's a hard i don't know if that's totally unteachable but at the very least it's really hard to learn like a lot of guys take a really long time to get like half as good at Cade as Cade is right now at just, well, I need to get down to the right block. I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to do it by blowing by somebody. Like, I'm just going to get there. So I do think, I think you're right. Like it's way too, it's too early to say this. It's, it's, it's probably too hot, but like, I do think it's more likely. So it's impossible for Cunningham to eventually develop some of the skills that Ivy has. Like he's never going to be that fast. He's never going to explode off the floor. He's never going to throw himself into bodies, hang in the air and finish like that kind of stuff. Ivy might be able to learn a little bit of like the craft stuff. Like it's way too early, but that that ties back into ceiling. It's just like, how good, how good do you think Ivy can be? And the real answer probably to your credit is like, it's way too early to say, like, we don't know. Kate is already really, really good. Also he's shooting. I just looked this up. He's shooting six of 10 on step back jumpers this year. That's always 10. Ivy is or Kate is? Kate is. Okay, well, that you know, <laughs> guess what? He's better than Ivy right now. <laughs> uh, the only around. other thing I was going to ask on this is, do you have, has like anything changed about, even if you were concerned or not in the first place, about how you feel about these two together long-term moving forward? Do you view it as more workable, less workable when you than you initially thought? In, no, uh, one of the things uh, I thought that came to mind as I was trying to, you know, put an answer together for this is like, I mean, it, does, it almost doesn't matter because they, they see it seems to me like, man, they're going to work great. Like they're very complimentary. I think I think they have such different games and they could improve in such different ways uh, that like this, this should work. Like and, and I really almost want to get out ahead of it and be like, can we not do the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum? We got to break these guys up, you know, three years from now because they haven't won a title yet. I feel like there's that kind of potential where you just have these two great guys that that can play out, learn to play off each other and be like, you know, the cornerstones of a really good team. I'm I'm more optimistic than I was because it seems like their skill sets are divergent to the point of they are complementary, but the, you know, Jaden Ivey shooting, for example, a higher clip on pull-up threes than catch and shoot threes. Like that's something that needs to they at least need to like even out a bit. And that's just something to watch. But again, I am more confident in Jaden Ivey's shooting ability than I was entering the season so i'm with you i think it works long term i still think we look at this pairing and i just if we fast forward three four years assuming they're still together i just think that we might look back at this even discussion and be like well what were we kind of thinking but yeah no i agree so let's uh <laughs> let's turn to another uh non-glamour franchise uh in what'll be the first of, of many such pivots uh from from bauer three if the pacers turn buddy healed into a pick from the lakers or really any asset I think we should probably be clear on what asset we're talking about when we answer this. Uh, the Halliburton Sabonis trade should be considered one of the worst trades of the last decade. So, for the, I'm assuming for the Kings, which is well, yeah, it has to be for the yeah. Kings because it, it, yeah, exactly. Um, is that way too hot? 
hot, not hot at all. Worst trade in the last decade. There's some doozies out there. I looked up some, so I'm curious. What do you got? Yeah, I I would say that's too hot because like Domas Sabonis has still been good in Sacramento. And if Tyrese Halliburton goes on to become like one of the 10 best players in the NBA for an extended stretch of time, it's like the Kings punting on that because they couldn't figure out how to make it work with Fox and Halliburton. I do think both those players were culpable. culpable. The only thing, and I don't, to use the word belabor again, I don't want to have to keep relitigating this from the Kings. They still got an all-star caliber player who's just, you know, been fantastic for them on offense. Even when it's just like, there is some stretches with the Kings this season where it feels like he's not as involved as he needs to be. But at the same time, De'Aaron Fox is playing out of his mind at the moment. So they still got a really good player who was probably the better player at the time of the trade and might still be the better player. It's just that he's playing second fiddle to like where Tyrese Halliburton is now number one on his team. Uh, I, it feels too soon to say that for me. And it's just, I think if you want to criticize the Kings for saying or getting to a point where they thought they needed to choose between Fox and Halberton, for sure. Um, do I think it could end up being one of the worst trades that we look like? Not this single worst. I'll be shocked. Like don't yeah. have bonus to have to fall off a cliff or you just have to leave in free agency for nothing uh, after the, you know, the Kings don't even come close to sniffing the plan. But this feels a little too spicy. I do think, I'm like Tyrese Halliburton to me though, is that guy. And I would not have made the trade if I was Sacramento. I think he is one of the better primary building blocks in the NBA right now. So uh, yeah, I I think, I think it's a little too hot, but I do want to, my hot take, maybe I'll just inject this into, into the discussion is I think Halliburton right now today is a better player than De'Aaron Fox. And I also think he's a better player than Sabonis. And like, and the, you know, Fox has played great. Like Fox has been better than he's been maybe ever to start the season. Um, I think Hal Burton is better today. And so it was like, it was, I was, I was like, you could have persuaded me at the time the trade was done that like, yeah, maybe Sabonis is going to get you to that play, get you in sniffing distance of the playoffs, which is what you want. I don't think that's the right thing to want, but I sort of get it. Halliburton, who knows? Right. And, and Fox is the guy you've thrown your lot in with. Cause you maxed them out. Like I get it. Now I think the trade's a huge mistake, just enormous. Cause I think Halliburton's better than all those guys still on his rookie scale deal. I think he does a lot of things that Fox cannot and does not do to make teammates better. Um, So just throw that out there. But like the bar for worst trade of the last 10 years is super high to clear. Like the stakes need to be bigger, first of all, because like if this goes really bad, Halliburton's great and the Kings just continue to not make the playoffs. Like how different, how much has the franchise really changed? Like look at just to take two, like, the ridiculous, you know, Nets Celtics trade that mortgaged the Nets entire stock of draft picks for Garnett and Pierce for years and years and years. Just look at the Russell Westbrook trade of the Lakers. It derailed a team that won a title like a few months before that trade. And now that team is like, it's a lost cause, you know? So there's, there's a real high bar to clear for worst trade in the last 10 years. So that's why this is too hot, but uh, it's not a good trade. I'll tell you that Halburn's really good. And the Kings are going to wish they didn't do that. So you're almost like a little too hot. Wow. Or no, only a little too hot is what you ended up at. Only a little, just because the bar is so high. Like there have been some like franchise destroying trades and this doesn't rise. to. Is there any other one that you feel compelled to note after researching them? (laughs) I mean, there's a James Harden trade. We could talk about that one. I don't know what I feel like you're implying. There's one I should be mentioning. No, I was just curious because I didn't even put, I thought that the take was so hot that I didn't even like bother to go back and sort of look at this because I mean, you could, you know, throw some ones, off the cuff. And I don't know how you deal with like the superstar trades 
necessarily when you're talking about like, well, if they were forcing their way out, do you criticize teams for getting rid of them or the teams that actually acquired them? But I mean, the first, weirdly, the first one that came to mind that I didn't include was uh, when the Knicks traded a first and some other stuff for Bargnani. And I, and I think I remember that one because I was like, really, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I was super against it vocally, like more than I normally would be. And I got so much pushback from Knicks fans. I was like stunned. It's like, who's the number one pick. This guy's going to be great. It's like a self-selecting group, right? That's like stupid to begin with. So they're going to come out and defend the trade. But uh, yeah, that, that one, that one uh, was not as bad as like the Nets giving up first round picks for a thousand years or Russell Westbrook destroying right. the Lakers. The uh, the other thing I'll say too is, but probably doesn't receive enough attention. That's the one that I was so I was wondering if you were going to get there. The Spurs Kawhi Leonard trade wasn't good. I know they got a good enough haul for Demar Derozan, but like that set them back from an actual rebuild and just put them in this very weird that they're fun, they're frisky now, and j- there are a lot of players to like on the roster. But when you look at just the return they got on what was a top five player in the NBA at the time, I know he was entering free agency. Um, but the package they favored that ends up being a pretty bad. Yeah. Deal. That was kind of the beginning of the end of the Spurs really. Right. Like once Kawhi was gone, he was kind of the last meaningful piece of what the Spurs used to be. And then, you know, now here we are. Was the, was the Rondo trade this decade to Dallas? It was, that was, that was definitely in the running. Cause they gave up a first um, and they had him for like, well, it's like what less like a month. Like what was it before him and Carlisle just like clearly couldn't work and he was gone. Um, what was it? There was another, Oh, some of the ones I didn't include were where a team gave up uh, like draft rights to a pick for something that became somebody great. You know, like I want to say uh, like Damien, the, the pick that became Damien Lillard was like in a Gerald Wallace trade or something right. like that. And, <laughs> right, 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 right. and like, uh, Oh man, I had it now. I've lost it. Cause I've thought about too many trades. Um, oh, well just the, I'm pretty sure the George Hill for the pick that became Kawhi trade uh was like you know that that's pretty bad <laughs> but but Kawhi you couldn't have known at the time I, I, right. I forget if that was draft night and you knew it was Kawhi or if it was the draft rights to that pick and it became I think it was draft I think it was draft night but that was I think that might actually also fall outside the scope of a decade at this point too oh it might yeah I can, the, the Harden trade actually might too I think by by a few months but I mean oh we, I, I thought you were talking about the second no, the original trade, one, the original which for the Nets looks like an abomination at this point. No, well, yeah, that's really bad now too. Because, but leave it to the Nets, man. They just <laughs> love to give away decades worth of draft picks. Um, yeah, that was a good one. I like that one. Let's move on. We have a bunch on the Cavs, so I'll try and break this down one by one. This one comes from the first of a few. Come from Muckle. Let's start here. Uh, too hot or not? The Cavs have fall four All Stars in Mobley, Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Darius Garland. I think that's hard to do and that feels a little too hot except they're the one seed right now and the Atlanta Hawks did it, you know, in whatever that was 15 or 14, I forget what year it was. So if the Hawks can do it cause they had a super good record and they had several really good players. Um, it's not, it's only a little too hot. Um, the rest of this, like, you know, <laughs> Mitchell, I don't know. I want to talk myself out of all of it, but you know, the, the Cavs have been really good and all of those, all those takes are kind of plausible. Well, I don't know. It's just barely too hot. So, yeah, I would say it's just barely too hot. I think because, look, Jaron Allen makes it last year and his numbers are a little bit more modest this year. But that's going to matter 
to voters. If you think he belongs on the all-star team, we can make that case when all said and done. The four all-stars is too hot. Will Darius Garland have played in enough games yeah. by then? I also think like there's got to be a point where they go through the motions a little bit with Mitchell and Garland playing off one another. To say they have two to three, two is probably absolutely just not even a little bit spicy. Three gets interesting because it's has Evan Mobley done enough. Will people recognize his value defensively some of the progress he's made on offense, which is just like, man, he does these things. Like if he's just like spinning and I'm just like, my heart will just stop. And it's, it's sort of his offense is formless, but like in the best possible way where mm-hmm. it could end up being anything at yeah. this moment. Yeah. Uh, the next one, uh, the Cavs have the MVP in Donovan Mitchell. This is also from Muckle, Muckle and the defensive player of the year in Allen or Mobley. Also Kevin Love wins sixth man of the year. So are any of those too hot or not? I mean, if you're giving me the field over any of those, I'm obviously taking the field. But like Mitch, who's I mean, who's got a who's got a way better MVP case than than Mitchell you know, right now? I, I did an MVP ladder for Bleach Report. Do you know where Donovan Mitchell ended up? Where? Number two. Okay. Do you know so, the player who's in front of him that I think is gonna be very hard for anyone to catch? Who's that? Oh, I thought Giannis. Well, yeah, okay. It's yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You're gonna run up against Giannis theoretically Steph like Jokic's numbers will get better all the usual suspects I think should be involved but like right now today I mean Mitchell's this is Mitchell's never been this good like it's not it's not close he's just at a different level and it's you know a tiny sample obviously we feel like we should just like put a big stamp on this pod that you know small sample alert so let's frame it this way which of these awards is most likely to tilt and we have another Cleveland award question but I don't think Let's stick with these. Which of those awards is a Cleveland player most likely to win between defensive player of the year, sixth man of the year, MVP? And if you want to throw most improved player in there as well, I think that's fair too. Yeah, I think I think Mitchell's a little over his head. I mean, he has to be. So I honestly, I think Mobley winning defensive player of the year because I have to stick to my guns on that because I pegged him, you know, partway through last year as someone I thought would win several of those awards. And it doesn't feel like it's too early yet. Um, I actually don't know what the what the Cavs are doing with respect to defensive efficiency because oh, they're second in points allowed per possession. So that's yeah. good enough. <laughs> <laughs> they're the team you don't check on. They're the team you don't check on in those rankings because you watch them and it's just like you see Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. It's just like oh, this is fucking over for opposing yeah. offenses right now. Yeah, um, I like Mobley. Who do you like out of those? I'm gonna say Donovan Mitchell for MVP because yeah. I really Kevin Love has been great. But do you know how many times we've had a six man of the year who's averaged like under 27 minutes a game or whatever the number is? It's like twice since yeah, the existence of the award. Good. I just don't know that he's going to have the playing time to do it. I didn't have him in my top five at this point. I would absolutely have him in my top five, if not at the top. And so I just think when MVP also is so narrative based where it's okay, this team was already good, but now all of a sudden the Cavs are a contender and Donovan Mitchell's there and he had to navigate a stretch without Darius Garland. The key to that, I will say is what happens when Darius Garland comes back. They are supposed to be very complimentary, but is there going to be a learning curve? We've already seen Donovan Mitchell struggle with some of the timing on his passes with this team. You would expect that. And then for defensive player of the year, I just think that when you have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, there's that cannibalization that goes on. And we see it with MVP when you have dual stars, which could impact Cleveland, by the way, if we get deep enough into the season, depending on how well Garland or Mobley specifically would be playing. But I think it's Donovan Mitchell because now we have this early season narrative bump and the Cavs have gone from, oh, quaint, maybe a play-in team last year to, are they a contender? Right. So I have that. And to this is the last one from Muckle. 
the Cavs take the one seed in the East and best record in the NBA. I mean, <laughs> how high do we need to get on the Cavs? I will say, you know, they have the best net rating right now. They they have the highest SRS for basketball reference, which does factor in strength of schedule, even though that's kind of wonky this early too, because, you know, certain but guys- the other thing just, is just like, they're there without- Almost, this body of work has been almost entirely without Darius Garland, who didn't look that good in the few minutes that he played this year. Right. That's the argument, right? Like they're doing this and all the stuff you would say, oh, well, that's going to get better as they play more. It's like the familiarity with one another. Like Donovan Mitchell is a big piece to introduce, like a high usage guy. I mean, it, like no one could have foreseen it going this well. It, like the fact that they're here now when you would have assumed they're kind of working the kinks out or kind of seeing who likes the ball where or how do the how's the rotation like all that's really good and i don't think garland is the type of guy that when the type of player that when he's back oh he's kind of disruptive you have to really adjust to what darius garland does on the floor it's not like it's you know it's someone super ball dominant it's not like you're well we play one way with trey young and a different way without him or you know st- like there's no, he doesn't like fundamentally force everybody else to like change what they do if anything he makes it easier i, I think so like and the and the other factor so that's not too hot uh, that they're that they could finish with the best record um i think too like they are at a stage in their development like certain teams are not going to gun for a bunch of regular season wins we've already seen that this year happens every year the Cavs are a team that like yeah man let's try to win 60 why not like this is fun you know they're at that stage where i think that's maybe more of a priority i will say not too hot on number one seed in the east although the friggin bucks being undefeated still while um like no Middleton no Middleton or Pat Connaughton like yeah. that or, or Joe Ingles yeah. so I'm gonna say too hot on best record in the NBA because I'm hedging my bets like the Suns are still kind of a buzzsaw the bench has been stronger than I expected mm-hmm. CP3 hasn't shot the ball too well to start the season so they're going to get better I would imagine but between the Suns and the Bucks just having Giannis like we have to account for that and then it's oh like is Portland or Utah gonna wind up in this conversation too for some reason no. I'll say too hot on the best record in the NBA but all your points are are well taken and last last thing sorry last thing on them like this is all a totally different discussion than would you pick them to win a playoff series against Boston against Milwaukee against like some of these teams that are more even like I don't know Toronto uh, Philly if they get it figured out like the playoffs are different. Like, I think, you know, I'm really confident about the Cavs as a regular season team. I do feel like, you know, they're sort of more of a like Memphis of last year level playoff ceiling team, which is good, but like, I'm, I'm not envisioning the Cavs winning, you know, two or three playoff series. I don't think not yet. It's too early for that. So we have more Cavs stuff. This is, I should have looped this in JT Alexander, Donovan Mitchell's an MVP candidate in Cleveland right now. Too hot or not? I would say not. That's no. right now specifically. He's probably one of the five. Yeah, second, of course, he's yeah. a candidate. Um, so that looped into there. Uh, Luke J thirty seven had the Cavs will finish in the top three of the East, and Donovan Mitchell will be in the top five of MVP voting. This is a little bit more interesting because we're talking about the full season. I will say not, no. not, not too hot. Top not five of MVP hot. voting because we're so early on, and you just look at these names. By the way, can you guess? a name that I had in my top 10 that you don't think would be maybe a consensus or people haven't paid enough attention to. If you just had to, if you were making a top 10 MVP ballot off the top of your head right now. Oh, did you include Harden or something? No. Oh God. No, <laughs> no I have no idea. I don't I know. I have Shea in there Shea? Yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. 
but anyway, so I would say I would lean towards definitely top three in the East because remember I came on the podcast and we were doing truth or trash. I said the three is their floor. That's clearly not hot enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) This, that feels about right. Like that's hot, but it's a hot take because of all the teams I already mentioned that I would favor over them in a playoff series, for example, different argument, but that's sort of how I organize my, my thinking. Um, not, not, not too hot. The top three in the East and Mitchell top five MVP. That's totally plausible based on what we've seen so far. Justin Rowan, friend of the podcast who's been on many times and I appreciate him um, pretending like he actually listens to us because he has way better things to do with his time. This one though is interesting. Uh, JB Bickerstaff, Kobe Altman with the coach of the year, executive of the year sweep grant too <laughs> hot or not. That's pretty hot. That's pretty hot. I mean, I think that's a little too hot. I, I, I mean, uh, you know what though, if, if, if we end this season and I don't know what the record would be, but if the Cavs are where they are, like top five defensive rating, barely out of the top five offensively, then you're almost going to have to, he's going to have to be a finalist Bickerstaff. Right. And then I don't know about Kobe Altman just cause the, the Jared Allen thing kind of fell into their lap and that's not this year. Uh, the Mitchell Jared trade Allen, Grant remain. Sorry, by the way, <laughs> gave up a ton. Yeah. Should I still say sorry now? Um, Mobley was like the right ob- quote unquote obvious pick. I don't, I'm not sure. Do you, am I forgetting something that would really elevate Altman to that, to that level? No, I guess because there's only like the one major transaction, but also like bringing back Ricky Rubio. Could that end yeah. up mattering? The Dean, like the Dean Wade extension should probably, that was highway robbery by Cleveland as far as I'm concerned. Pretty good. Oh, you know what? And well, Danny Ainge probably should get it, but they're not going to give it to a guy that blew up a roster. That's not how it works. It's always, it's well, always someone that adds. If, he, if they hold Pat or just in the play-in or something, I mean, he might. Uh, they can, they can are, trade those guys for like five more first rounders. They're not done. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I actually think it's probably... I'm going to say too hot here. I will say, I think Kobe Altman is more likely to win executive of the year than JB Bickerstaff is to win coach of the year would be my guess. Okay. And I, who would be here if we're executive of the year ends right now, who would have it for you? It'd probably be I, Kobe Altman. I'd give it to Danny Ainge. I mean, like oh, that's all right. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. Fair. That's, I mean, that's, he won't get it, but that's who I'd give it to. Well, um, as of right now, why wouldn't he get it? Well, <laughs> you have right, all these sure. picks and like the third best team in the yeah, NBA. They're, they're going to be the four seed in the West and they're going to have a thousand first rounders going forward. A name um, that I did not expect to wind up in this discussion though, Joe Cronin in Portland having right? a strong case too. I gave them a high off season grade. I, I walked off of them being like a good playoff team potentially, but I, I was sort of correct. Um, should we move on to another, another non-glamour market? Yes. I, I believe it's your turn, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's me. Uh, this is from Tybul. Is it Tybul or Thibul? I, I say it. I, I say it's Tybul, but I might be reading too much into the basketball reference pronunciation, and that's what most of the announcers say. I Tybul. believe and I try and go by like what the home teams are saying as well. But all right. Anyway, the really uh, steel-prone uh, Sixers defensive wing DPOY, uh, the performance of Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, and Herb Jones will have a greater impact on the Pelicans' success this season than CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram. No disrespect to either of them. <laughs> I should I should note. Uh, too hot for you, Dan? I think it's way too hot for, for way me. Too hot. I, w- I will say, look, Dyson Daniels is a monster defensively already. We yeah. know what Herm Jones 
can do when, when he's healthy. Trey Murphy, the third has really impressed me with his offense specifically. There's just so many more layers than he even showed last season where the level of difficulty, even on his assisted shots where it's like, he's coming off motion. Um, that's a big deal. And he's, sh- he's shown some on ball shake, but, and I know he's been in concussion, but like Brandon Ingram's ridiculously good. And I think we've seen even when CJ McCollum's not scoring, he's provided like structure and balance to the half court offense at points. That is, if you wanted to say that collective is going to be more valuable than CJ McCollum this year, maybe trying to scale ahead to some of their best defensive lineups in the playoffs if they're able to steal a series, that might not be too hot. This feels, to me, and no disrespect, Tybal DPOI, this feels incredibly incendiary. (laughs) That's that's where I'm at with this. It's too hot. I mean, like, I'm just going to parse it out. Uh, Greater impact. They'll have a greater impact. That's the question. Like, Ingram Ingram and McCollum are going to be, if not the two highest usage Pelicans this year, two of the three, depending on what Zion's usage rate is. So just like in terms of who is affecting the game and who is sort of organizing the other pieces and like as great as certainly Murphy and Jones are and as good as Daniels might be, like they're complementary pieces right now. Jones is like a game wrecker and is just a different type of player. But like, you know, there, there just aren't a lot of high usage, high efficiency primary ball handler playmaker guys like they're always going to have that bigger impact like i get the spirit of the question like th- these three guys are great they're going to be awesome in their roles and they've all you know kind of exceeded expectations gotten better just like that's not that's way too hot there's no way uh how about this pelicans one though the pelicans are making the finals this year let's just get hotter and, and finishing with the best record in the west book it that's from t bloom 117 that's too high. There yeah. are. I don't think we were high enough on the Pelicans, and we were pretty high on them entering the season. I build them as a fifty-game winner, and that they could win a playoff series. If he would have, if this would have, if T. Bloom would have just said the Pelicans make the Western Conference Finals, I probably would have been like, that's that's not too hot because that's just where I'm at with them, and we need to see more of them at full strength. Um, the la- you know, some of the minutes when they're downsizing off the bench have not been great. I'm just a very big believer in the depth of this roster. It's like you can play a shit ton of different ways where it's, Oh, if what if we just rolled out Zion with all four defenders? I don't know what the spacing right. looks like with Trey Murphy and Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones and Dyson Daniels, probably not great, but like he just bulldozes away to the rim anyway. Like what is that? Does, can they rebound enough? But then I do think in theory, Larry Nance junior plus Zion should work. And then mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, they're the best three point shooting team in the NBA right now. They do not take enough of them. How much does that matter when their offense has been so good? Anyway, I'm a big believer in the Pelicans team. And so it's like, when it came back to, I don't know which one I gave you on truth or trash, but I said the New Orleans Pelicans are more likely to win the title this season than the Sixers or the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. That takes <laughs> aging pretty well right now. That's all I'm saying. Uh, it's aging pretty well early. Uh, this take is too hot, obviously. We agree. Um, I think it's sort of like the Cavs where, I mean, the best record in the West is way more plausible to me than making the finals just because the regular season in the playoffs are two totally different things. And I just, I'm not ready to to say that the Pelicans are, are currently more than a team that could win a ton of regular season games and then run into like a team that has real like high leverage reps and like knows what it is. Like the Pelicans, I don't feel like know what they are yet because of all the depth and because of all the options they have. Like it's a great problem to have and it's going to be awesome to watch them sort it out this year. But, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> making the finals, that's, that's tough. That's a little too early for me. Bauer three had another one. This one is wow. 
another one because why not? I'm not sure this will be safe to to put on the podcast. <laughs> what are you worried about? <laughs> the Wolves should trade Carl Anthony Towns as soon as possible before the league figures out he's just a stretchy Andre Drummond. He's not a winning player at the highest level despite the stats because his lack of executing the mental parts of the game, like not committing stupid fouls and not blowing defensive assignments, are a detriment in close contests. Grant, hot or not? Too hot or not, excuse me. Okay, I got to start with a question for you, though. Uh, other than <laughs> calling Cat stretchy Andre Drummond, which I did laugh out loud at when I read it, uh, that's really funny. Is any <laughs> is any of the evidence for Cat needing to be traded that's laid out in this question isn't a winning player at the highest levels, lack of executing the mental parts of the game, committing stupid fouls uh, are a detriment. Is any of that wrong? Like, is any of that uh, off base? Do you I, do you think? I guess not. But I, the winning player one just seems like when has he been in? put in a position to be a winning player. There's the Jimmy Butler season that seems like it was very, you know, tenuous behind the scenes. And then last season they were, they weren't supposed like Anthony Edwards was in uh year two. And this is just like, they, you know, they have that really competitive series against the Grizzlies. They were on the wrong side of a lot of those, you know, like comebacks. So I get it, but like stretchy Andre Drummond. And yeah. to me, it's more like, I, there's probably validity to the thinking of if this guy is supposed to be as good as he is, why did you just give up all these assets and are paying all this money to someone who plays what is still Carl Anthony Towns' best position or should be Carl Anthony Towns' best position? That That's where I'm going with it, uh, it, it which is he is the number one overall pick. He is a transcendent offensive player. He is not someone that you should have to say he's never been in position to do X, Y, or Z. Like he is the guy in theory, if he's, if he's the guy like capital T, capital G, he creates the situation for everyone else to succeed in, right? Like that's the number one pick pedigree. That's the, you know, he's got two max contracts essentially now. Um, that's the, that, that's what he should be. So like, this is, this is still too hot only because trading him as soon as possible I feel like is a wild pivot from we're going to try to give him the defensive presence and go bear that we think was missing. Like that was the whole point of this off season of all these draft picks that, that the wolves gave up. Like I think you got to give it a little more time, but I totally understand the thinking that towns is just not, is not that guy Be, because like we, so we all saw like the brain farts in, in high leverage games the inability to not foul. I, I'll never forget. Uh, I forget. Oh, I do forget the broadcaster, but said that he gets battle blindness, which is just like there's like the fog of war and he's got five fouls and he just can't stop himself from like making a bonehead, like reach at the ball that has like a tiny chance of like adding positive value. He's not getting that steal. You know, so that kind of stuff I think is legit. Um, but like this guy, since his rookie year, in terms of like on off positive differential for offense, right? Offensive rating. He's in the 92nd percentile at, at worst. He's been th that level or better in terms of like making his team's offense better per hundred possessions. Like you got to try to, you got to try a little longer to figure it out with a guy that can do that. Cause there's, I mean, it's like what him, Steph, Trey young, Jokic, like those, like in terms of offensive impact um, it, it's, it's a little too hot, but I do love stretchy Andre Drummond. That's hilarious. I'm a big fan of that. There's just too much substance to Cat's offense, though, when he's on for me yeah. to go. Like, where Andre Drummond, it felt like, 
not as oh, no, that's a really. joke. <laughs> I know it's a joke, but I think the way to scale this would be it's not too hot to say that Towns can't be the best player on a title contender where this seems like it's going and uh, we're free to be corrected. If, if we're wrong here, uh, I won't give out the first name. I actually know who asked this question. Cause we we've DM a bunch of times. Uh, can he be the second best player on a, like a title team? I would say yes. And the first one is not too much of a knock because there may be what two bigs right now that yeah. can be the best player on a title team. And it's Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic. And we're not even sure. Like there, it just may not be possible right now. The way the way the game's played, like that's that's the other thing. Uh, wow. This one is. Oh, this one. This next one's you, and it is brutal. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is from Demos Cool, K O U L. DeAndre Hunter is officially a bust. Oh, you skipped over the the, the more incendiary one. Huh? Did I skip over? Do you not see? Oh, I'll go to it after this. But DeAndre Hunter's. Uh, a bust? I would say that's like I would say it's too hot. It's like it's like he's shooting f- almost forty five percent from three on the season. His defense has probably been like a little bit better. If you were hoping that he was going to be Mikhail Bridges with more of an off the dribble jumper, then yeah, he's a bust. I guess looking at his draft position, do you consider him a bust relative to that? I thought the extension was interesting, even in the new cap climate. Uh, I'm not ready to go bust though. There's questions about his health too. And the, the, the kind of on ball offense he flashed in year two before he got injured, that was clearly an aberration. And so I'm prepared to go there. Bust feels really, we're talking about someone, if he's a bust, he can't be a very useful player to a really good team. And I would push back against the idea that he can't. Yeah. By the way, I just saw the one I skipped over. I'm excited to get to that next Uh, on Hunter real quick. This, this is too hot, but it kind of depends on what you want him to be. And, you, and the bust implies like it was a draft mistake, right? So he was the fourth pick. After that, I mean, in terms of guys like that seem like obvious picks, I mean, Garland went right after, but they weren't, they had Trey Young. They're not going to take Darius Garland. So, you know, then Cam Johnson, which everybody panned at the time, was a few picks later. And then Tyler Heroes, even later than that. Like, in terms of value for that pick, I mean, Jordan Poole's further down that draft board, but like they also weren't going to take him. I, I don't know about that. The thing is, though, like, just as a comp, like, what do you want Hunter to be? You want him to be at worst a three and D complement to like a championship roster. And so the the first person I think of is Danny green and like Danny green was already Danny green in his age 25 season, which is to say like one of the best defenders across two or three positions and shooting 40 something percent from three on what at the time was good volume. It wouldn't be today just because everybody shoots threes. Like Hunter is not anywhere close to that. And he's in his age 25 season. So like when you say a guy you pick fourth in the draft is not going to be as good as Danny green. That's not as big of a knock as it sounds like. Cause green has been a great player in his role, but like not encouraging, I, I would say, especially for someone you just paid. And the, but the other thing I'll say here though, is if, would it change for you if you view it in the context of what the Hawks gave up to get him, which was Nikhil Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes, um, Marco Silva, a 2021 second round pick that became Herb Jones. Ooh. And a 2022 second round pick that became Vince Williams Jr. How nasty are the Hawks if Herb Jones is in DeAndre Hunter's spot on the roster? Oh, man. <laughs> All right, fair enough. If you do that, did they lose that trade? Yeah. It's like Jackson, I don't know. Jackson Hayes is fine. Alexander Walker ended up being, he broke my heart. Yeah. So they might have still won it. Uh, I'm just not ready to go bust. I'm glad that you're taking responsibility and going to do this next one, though. I thought yeah. you were trying to to sort of just weasel your no, way out of it. It snuck past me on one on one line. Uh, I also am terrified to answer it. Um, 
Do you want to read it? Or do you want do you want to throw it so I have to answer it first? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it. So Demos Quo also said, "Is Kawhi Leonard?" Or he said, "Kawhi Leonard is is finished." Yeah, Kawhi, Kawhi is done. Just as I'm looking at it right here, um, I'm gonna cop out and say, "Well, what do you mean done? Like as <laughs> what?" <laughs> yeah, let's move on. You need to clarify. We don't need. He's still alive. Like, I, uh, oh, okay. Here's what I'm gonna say. Uh, it's not too hot. And I'm going to assume that what 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 is meant here is he is done as like a, the guy that you can build a championship team around, like which I think most people agreed he was like and he sort of did that with the Raptors. Like that was an incredible run. Like nobody would have fought you saying he's one of the three or four best players in the league. Um, but like he's you just you can't be that guy if you just aren't going to play. Um, and so I think it's been proven for several years now that he's not someone that's going to play a lot. And now he's missed four straight, I think. And he flew back to LA with the Clippers on a road trip to, you know, get treatment on the, on the knee. Um, it doesn't feel like this is the type of trajectory that like reverses course injury wise. Um, so I guess I'm open to the idea of Kawhi being really good for stretches I just have a hard time imagining that he's going to hold up, um, you know, long enough or just give enough volume to be like your no questions asked, uh, you know, superstar that everyone can orbit around on a really, really, really good team. I would agree with your interpretation of it. I would just say it's too hot to say that he's done because he's still going to be, I think, even if he's not your best player on a title contender, He's still going to be when he's available, no worse than yours. Like if, right. and even in the context of, do you still think he'll be better than Paul George moving forward? I would probably still guess yes. The availability is certainly a concern. I, I interpret him being done as well. We've just he's has this degenerative knee condition, and he's not going to be able to recover from you know this partially you know the partially torn right ACL healing. Now they said that there's stiffness in that knee. He's dealt with a ton of lower body injuries at this point. It's concerning, and but I don't. I mean. I'm just not going to default to he's done. Like that enters like Brandon Watt territory. This is going to ruin his career. And I can't, I, ref, I guess I refuse to get there out of stubbornness. I, I do understand why you might go to that at this point, because it's like, Oh, he had the partially torn ACL misses all of last year. And now he's back. Hasn't played in most of their games. He's slated to miss at least the next five. Well, I guess five now since he missed their win against the, uh, the Rockets on Monday night. It's a huge concern. And Ty Lewis tried to downplay it, but it's like, I don't know if there's any downplaying this as of right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a long time, right? That, that, that ACL was in June of, of 2021. So, I mean, this, this is more than a year and we're having issues with the same. Yeah. I, it's, I'm not, it's a perfect hot take because it's like, it's definitely not clear that that's true, but there's like a decent chance that that's true. So it, it is a perfect, like too hot of a take. This next one's fun. Uh, let's see. Am I doing this? Okay, I'll, I'll do it. HP uh, Berge says uh, Jalen Noel is winning six man of the year. And, and let's take that first. Jalen Noel is winning six man of the year. Your thoughts? That's not too hot. I mean, is it? Wouldn't he be? Wouldn't he be your pick at this point? I'm th- like, there's. I'm trying to think of who's in there. I mean, there's there's Kevin Love, maybe someone from the Jazz. Jalen Noel isn't playing maybe enough minutes. Is that the time that it changes? But uh, the three ball has not been falling, but he's just been like absolutely frenetic for them on offense. I don't. I, I still don't think that's too hot. I mean, if I call it too hot for Kevin Love, maybe I need to say it's too hot for Jalen Noel. 
because is he is he hitting like that minute? He's not even averaging twenty minutes per game right now. So is he hitting that necessarily minutes threshold? The the thing for me is is he does fit the like trope of the six man winner, which is he comes in, he gets buckets, he's a high volume player and short stints and he's not very efficient <laughs> like that's that's like the, and also he's from uh he's a combo guard from seattle and we know that if all, all things being equal you should just assume that the combo guard from seattle is winning six man of the year because jamal crawford won like 14 of them so he's got that going for him i do think that like we're looking i mean i think christian wood probably assuming he keeps coming off the bench has to be a consideration i think like Jordan Poole, assuming he gets enough bench games is like, I I mean, if, if you're talking about winning it right now, then I guess Noel has a pretty good argument, but like is winning it, like is going to win it. That's, that's too hot for me. I I'm, I'm not seeing that one. Um, the second part of this uh, hot take or not hot take is uh, Anthony Edwards will get more all-star votes than Devin Booker. Ah, too hot for yeah. me. Devin Booker. He was fifth on my MVP ballot, by the way, so far. He's he's been really good, and I know that some of Anthony Edwards' numbers might pop off the page, and I think his game in general just leaps out at you a little. Is in your face. Devin Booker's shooting sixty percent on mid range jumpers right now. I just and he's like he's averaging more potential assists. He's being double teamed on thirty one point nine percent of his possessions. Everything the Suns do is founded around his decision making out of those double teams and when he's going downhill, but also on the idea that teams are going to treat him like that, and so. That's too hot for me. I don't know it's about way, you. It's way too hot. And I have just the one number, which is Booker had three times as many votes as Edwards did last year. And like, if anything, the narrative of this season is more pro Booker than Edwards because of like, like you said, I think Booker is a legit MVP candidate. And, and I don't think Edwards is being talked about at all that way so far. So like, I don't know how you reconcile. Not, look, until Andy Edwards away. cuts Popeye's out of his diet, I'm just, I'm out <laughs> on this idea. <laughs> you know what we didn't even we didn't even throw that into the cat discussion maybe we should have um yeah no that those are both those are both too hot for me um you got you you have a another (laughs) non-glamour market question uh glad says keldon johnson is going to be an all-star grant hughes too hot or not okay i wanted this to be too hot uh and i went through and looked at like what are the who do we think you know, are your likely all-star Western conference front court guys that are going ahead of him. And none of them are, are like ironclad, right? You know, LeBron, AD, Jokic, Zion, like just going down the front court guys, like other than Jokic, you know, any one of those guys could just be hurt or whatever. Like, so those, and then you're like Wiggins, PG and Kawhi, Towns, Gobert, like Ingram, Draymond, like, what are we, what are we talking? So that is not too hot because I think, uh, he's not getting voted in obviously, but like 24, five and four true shooting over 60%. His usage talking about Keldon Johnson again here, uh, his usage is way up. Like he was at 21% last year. It's 27. So now he's volume efficiency, um, getting to the line more often passing better. His assist rate is way up, draws tons of fat. Like all everything is like working for him. Um, the, the hilarious stat is the Spurs, uh, offensive rating is, uh, or no, it's just their net rating is 48.7 points per hundred better with him on than off. <laughs> so might say a little bit about the, uh, the reserves in San Antonio. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. That's a stupid number. I'm saying that is not too hot because he's been great. And, you know, he's at an age, I think he's 22 where like, 
yeah, it's possible that he's just this good now. Like this is the leap he took. It's 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 very it's it's on the table. I this is my official apology for putting him putting RJ Barrett over him in the top twenty five players under twenty five rankings. It was inexcusable. Uh, he deserved to be higher. I am by f- I'm blown away. This is not too hot. I'm blown away by the progress he's made this season. Also, not to make this about me, but I dislocated my shoulder a few years ago. And I'm still just not as strong on certain, like when I'm going to do like chest press or shoulder presses, like the progress that I would like to make is like, I can't. And this dude just dislocated his shoulder and his back and playing at an all-star level. And there is, there is, okay. There's a more, I, I will phrase it this way. There's more directionality to his game. I'm still not trusting him to hit off the dribble jumpers. I'm trusting him to do more than operate within a straight line. Mm-hmm. when he has the ball in his hands and the passes that he can make out of there. I don't know what's going to happen where if you really slow things down, can he be the engine of like a half court offense? But in terms of a from scratch scorer and playmaker who can make quicker decisions while, you know, going East, West, North, South, I'm there with yeah. him. And so I don't think it's too hot. The West is as always, it's deep with talent. And so, you know, Keldon Johnson versus Anthony Edwards, when we're talking about all-stars, they play different positions, but it's like looking at votes, how popular is Cullen Johnson going to be? I think the Spurs have to be sort of on the national radar. Like they are, you know, we call them a non-glamour market right now, but they're like the third best team in the NBA. We're like, we're going by record. So I'm going to say not too hot. Would you predict though? Is it too hot to, I mean, this is what we're predicting. I'm going to say it's not too hot, but would you predict he makes an all-star team outright? I wouldn't. Um, but I think he's, I think he's going to be deserving, but I don't know that he, I, I wouldn't predict it just because like the Spurs will come back to earth and like he is playing. I think this will be his best season by far, but he's going to come down from what he's doing right now, just because there aren't a lot of guys that, you know, flirt with 60% true shooting and 30% usage. Like that's a tiny, that's like Kevin, you know, Kevin Durant, like Harden prime heart. Like that's way over anybody's head. Um, but he's great. I do. It is also, I would say, not a hot take that you're that like in terms of being an athletic specimen, you and Keldon Johnson are not the same. I I, I do think that that is a reasonable take that, that you're making with respect to shoulder recovery and just general human fitness. I think Keldon Johnson probably has you. <laughs> Fenturn uh, DP Hornet should start the tank and sell off as soon as possible. They have one of the most exciting young players in the league and are still regularly forgotten. Too hot or not, Grant? This is a million miles from too hot. This is act. This is the correct suggestion. Um, I think I, I said it before the season and, and have said it since um, this is, this is the, this team has to tank, like, especially with some of the purported tankers, like not tanking so far, there's such a window of opportunity. I think if you could, cause they don't have other than LaMelo, there's just like not really anything here in terms of like building blocks. So if you're, if you're, if you're going to get Richards, (laughs) if, if you have a chance to get one of those and make it so that Lamelo doesn't sign the max and then as soon as possible ask to be traded, like you got to do it. I think, I think you can move Hayward while he's healthy, potentially for possibly positive value. Um, Rozier, I think you should be able to get positive value. So I think you clear the decks. Like this is, this is my opinion. Like this is not too hot of a take. It's what I would say they, absolutely have to do i don't think it's too hot of a take either i do think that maybe we overstated the the direness of their situation the fact that steve clifford has been able to coach defense out of this group is just really impressive and i think we need to give a ton of credit for how kelly Oubre jr has played at points for how jalen mcdaniels has played this season nick richards of course which we actually have something on him in just a a second so i this 
I share this opinion. And the fact that, by the way, that this has all happened without LaMelo, that's what I struggled to. I'm like, well, if LaMelo comes back, they might be more of like a playing team than I thought. And that's just not where you want to be with LaMelo. So ultimately, that's it's not too hot. I, I'm in agreement, but they've impressed me to start the season. I think you're just bitter because they beat the Warriors personally, but... Uh, <laughs> well, I gotta, I'm got. i going to be bitter at a lot of teams at this rate. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think we're on the same page. Uh, another Hornets question from Jake G. Um, I'll try to condense it a little bit. The, the gist is the Hornets should pull the trigger and start Nick Richards once Melo is back. I don't know why you need to wait till Melo is back for that. Um, oh, spoilers! I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought he'd be out of the NBA after his first contract, but the work and commitment uh, he's put in, you know, and had to have put in this offseason have done wonders. All I'm all for him being at worst a low end starter slash solid rotation piece. Deserves every apology I can give him. Listen, we'll give the apologies. We don't. <laughs> that's that's our job. Um, goes on to say Plumlee's main skill is his ball movement and passing. That's also correct. Um, that won't be as much of a necessity with Lamelo back. Uh, so, is this too hot of a take that Richard should be the starter in Charlotte? Essentially, uh, <laughs> no. I, I I wouldn't even wait till Lamelo yeah. is back. I understand like the theory of Mason Plumlee, and maybe you want to see Nick Richards go up against more second unit players. But no, I mean like you were in the mode of oh, like let this team tank. But I think even what would be better for them in terms of their development, but also maybe this season is once Lamelo's back having Nick Richards out there, giving yourself more um, versatility on the defensive end and a different type of threat on offense, uh, I think it could benefit them down the line. And if you have Mason Plumlee as your primary backup because you're still not going to play, um, you know, Kai Jones or JT Thor, who's, you know, Jake G has mentioned this a bunch uh, in the DMs and on Twitter to me. JT Thor just might be, he's a shot of adrenaline when you watch him. And so they might have some stuff to plumb up front. And I think this comes back to our stance on the tanking or like being more gradual with the rebuild. I would really lean into just like full on experiment. I think Nick Richards is good enough to justify this, but I'm saying you can go off the rails even further because I think that's the mode this franchise needs to be in. Yeah, I agree. It's not too hot. I, I mean, he outplayed James Wiseman. So he's obviously the hall of famer Richards. I mean, like he's the number two pick. He just was. Better. I'm going to, we have a couple quick fire ones, but I'm going to throw mine at you now. Since you mentioned James Wiseman. Hot, Grant, too hot or not, the Warriors need to give up on one or both of Jonathan Kaminga or James Wiseman because there's a good chance that neither of them are very good and they clearly can't straddle two timelines in this Western Conference. So it's too hot and for several reasons. I have to, And I'm mostly, I'm sticking to my guns for I've, all along. I was just of the opinion they shouldn't trade those guys. Uh, and that was mostly last year. I, and I will concede though that there's like, a really good chance that neither of those guys are good. I, I mean, as early as it is for both and as athletic and like obviously gifted as both are, uh, there's just real problems. Like, you know, Wiseman still just has no idea what to do on defense. Um, he doesn't understand how to play offense the war the way the Warriors want to. So when he comes in, it's pick and rolls and it just changes everything. Kaminga is like had some DNPs deservedly, I think. Um, he doesn't quite know where he fits in. Having said all that, of high, you know, possession five-man units early this year, the Warrior starters, veteran laden, uh, you know, Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney. It's the best net rating of any, you know, very frequently used five-man unit in the league. So, like, if you think you can find two or three other guys, veterans maybe that can give you good playoff minutes, or if you think there's a decent chance that any of these young guys can contribute 
you know, rotation stuff in the playoffs, then I think the move is still, you just wait and you just hope that, you know, Wiseman figures it out or Kaminga figures it out. Cause like the stakes for this year, I don't think are dire enough. If those guys do continue to be disappointing that you need to do something drastic. So, um, but I have to concede, like, it's not too hot to say that, that both of those guys have been disappointments. Um, and, and then like, it's becoming an increasingly significant, like point of conversation out here and something that the warriors like, okay, you know, this, this is, it's, it's getting a little, we we need to see something. And, and I don't think we've seen enough from either of those guys. I don't think it's too hot on James Wiseman. I don't see this team ever wanting to play how he's best used mm-hmm. uh, unless they're look, it does seem like Steve Kerr is single-handedly trying to prop up Steph Curry's net rating swing by just mirroring the James Wiseman minutes against when Steph Curry rests. So that that could look super impressive. I'm not necessarily out on Wiseman. I just don't know that I, if they actually still want to be one of the primary threats in the West moving forward with this core, I don't know. Wiseman specifically is the one that I see a tough time of just like, well, how is this just going to go? The path to playing time is not clear with Draymond Green or Kevon Looney right there. And just also like, is he ever going to be good enough defensively for you to want to play him? And if you want to play Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and even Clay Thompson a bunch, not to be unfair to Clay Thompson, but like you don't want Clay Thompson necessarily on point cards as often anymore. Right. Um, I just, I, the Wiseman and the Warriors fit, I guess is, I'm, I don't want to say I'm out on it because that seems cruel. There's been such a small sample size. I just, yeah. I don't see it. No, the signs aren't good. I do think you mentioned pool pool is the, like, is the proof of concept, right? Cause I mean, he looked worse at his low than either Kamingo or Wiseman have looked like the, he looked like he was not an NBA player. And then lo and behold, now he's got $140 million and he's one of the best reserve guards in the league. He's going to start for a long time eventually. Um, so like you can't, you, I, I think it's, you can't pull the plug yet. Um, especially with the starters and the vets still being so effective. Um, but yeah, big concern for sure. The, uh, oh yeah, you're up. Sorry. Am I, am I'm on a, oh, we got, a, oh, this is a good one. Uh, JT Alexander says Lori Markinen isn't going to be an all-star. If, sorry, isn't going to be an all-star this year, LOL. So I guess maybe we should flip that and say like, he is going to be an all-star. What no, are, I, mean, I don't think it's too hot to say he's not going to be an all-star. Yeah, that's, that's a reasonable take. That's not too hot. Um, I, I will say him, the jazz playing five out so often benefits him pretty well. And I don't want to, I've just mentioned this on the podcast like three or four times. He wants you to know that he's like doing things like with some of the flair. He tries to like throw these passes. He's just like, oh, I, people need to know what I'm doing. Uh, but this has been a, a way more complete offensive player than I think we've ever seen before. And what the Jazz are doing with some of their lineup structures, I think is really smart and has contributed to, to their success. I think, what was it? The game, I can't remember which game I was watching that they played the other night, where it's like they very rarely had like a non-shooting big on the court. And it's just like, yeah. it works. So um, I, I don't think it's, I mean, all-star, I think it's re- like that's, saying he's not going to be an all-star. That is the the correct take to have. Uh, yeah. It would be too hot to say that he's going to be an all-star, but with what he's doing now, Grant, should he like 63% of his twos, 22 points a game, almost three assists, rebounding the ball fairly well. Like, should he be in that early season discussion? I mean, he's played great. I, I think that's more reasonable. I do think like you mentioned the, the two point shooting, like a lot of his gains in efficiency are, are just volume, but also he's making a ton of like short floater range shots and, and mid range twos. He's, you know, it's not quite Chris Paul level, but it's like within a percentage point or two in terms of his mid range accuracy, like that's, that's coming down. Um, but yeah, he's proven like he proved last year. He can be a quality starter on a good team. Like that's the floor now, I think for marketing and provided you have like a couple of the right types of things around him. Um, but yeah, and not an all-star, but like, 
definitely a, like a good starter. I, I think at, at worst going forward now for him. Our next one comes from uh, Matt Chan. Trey Young and DeJounte Murray are the best backcourt in the league. Grant Hughes, too hot or not? It's too hot. Um, but I, I will admit that that as I go through, I mean, there's at least a conversation with like almost any of the other backcourts you'd put up. Like, you know, just, just spitballing, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, most of that's Booker, but like that's still a, a backcourt that led to 64 wins last year and made the finals the year before. Um, and Booker is, I think, a more legit MVP candidate than obviously Murray, but also Young. Morant, Bain, I think I probably like those two better. Um, I, but I mean, it's a conversation. You know, Steph and like any sentient being that you could put out there is a pretty good, uh, pretty good backcourt. Maxi Harden, like, you know, if you want to get crazy, Garland and Mitchell, even though we've seen like 25 seconds of that, <laughs> it's a little too hot. Uh, but like, you know, it's worked pretty well. I think I got to believe that most people in Atlanta are pretty happy with with the early returns. Right. And Trey's definitely gone some through adjustment periods on offense with his efficiency and playing off DeJounte Murray, but they're making it work. We've seen him not just come off more screens, but even set more screens. The Hawks are outscoring opponents by 6.2 points with uh, per by. 6.2 points per 100 possessions when they share the floor about an average defense. The offensive rating is is just absolutely absurd. What has been interesting and what I was looking up in preparation of this podcast, uh, they are getting absolutely trucked when either one of these guys plays without the other. Hmm. Uh, they are When Trey plays without DeJounte Murray, they are minus 18.1 points per 100 possessions. When Murray plays without Trey, they are... Uh, oh, no, they're actually winning those minutes. Excuse me, I read it wrong. So they're winning the minutes Murray plays without Trey and they're losing the minutes Trey plays without DeJounte Murray. And the minutes in question are like, they're they're exactly what you expect them to be. It's like, oh, the defense when Trey plays without Murray is atrocious. And I sort of wonder if they've asked him to do much, too, too much heavy lifting in some of those lineups where it's like, okay, your most used like Trey without DeJounte Murray combination is going to include all three, not just one, but all three of Aaron Holiday um, Jalen Johnson and uh, excuse me, Justin Holiday. So the Holiday brothers and the Jalen Johnson, like that's a lot of heavy lifting for Trey to have to do. And when you look at the talent that Murray's been around in some of his lineups, they're trying to inoculate him a little bit more. He's played a bunch with the the Holiday brother, brothers and even Jalen Johnson, but like Onyeka Kungu, and it does seem like those minutes from what I've watched of a lot of their most used lineups are coming against competition where it might favor them a little bit, but I did just find that interesting that you've won the one guard minutes with Murray or the, the one star minutes with Murray, let's, or however you want to phrase it and lost the ones that Trey is playing. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that the correct take is they just need to trade Trey Young. Like the, I mean, the numbers, the numbers through, <laughs> through 10 days of the season are just not lying. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, this is from Drizzy Watts. I'm going to lump these two together and Hydrosynth. Um, it's a very Tyrese Maxey focused uh, set of questions. Tyrese Maxey will lead the Sixers in scoring and make his first all-star team followed by Maxey will win MIP. Take those in any order you want uh, from, from not hot to too hot. You can even organize them. The, look, so the scoring lead the Sixers in scoring is too hot. He has to, I know we're early on, like Joel Embiid is at 27 plus and Maxey's around 23 plus. And look how many minutes Maxey's, Maxey's averaging 37 minutes already. Right. So it's like, he's not playing more. He's not going to get volume out of that. The all-star conversation, not even a little bit too hot. I would probably pick him to make the Eastern Conference all-star team right now. In terms of most improved player, that is interesting yep. because the numbers are not like super drastically different from last year. 
And I think it could be hard to spot how he's elevated his game. If Doc would give him more motherfucking control over the offense, though, during the, you know, either one star minutes or no, like give go Tyrese Maxey no star minutes more often. That would be his ticket to getting there. I do think he's going to be buried beneath the James Harden, Joel Embiid usage. Does Embiid miss enough games to where that helps him? I'm going to say it's too hot on most improved. I think it'll be too difficult to spot the differences and that if he was going to win that award, it was going to happen last year as, as disinclined as people, including myself are to give it to second year players. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned that. Cause a lot of the guys, when I, the MI, the MIP question is the only one that really is like not way too hot. Um, looking through it, I just kept coming back to like second year guys so like, well, I mean, Scotty Barnes is going to get a lot better. And and what about Evan Mobley or Kate, you know, all these, which is such so stupid because second year guys, I agree. It's kind of like, well, yeah, of course they're going to get better. It's not like they meaningfully changed. I mean, Nick Richards is probably going to win most improved player, right? Like that's what we've decided. Um, I do think that Maxi has uh, the 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 assistance of a narrative that I feel like, and it's partly true, but like I don't know if you watched the the first two Sixers games I saw were both national broadcasts, and Stan Van Gundy like there was a counter for like how many times he said that Maxi was the most underrated player in the league, and I feel like that's not just him. I feel like there's a real push for everyone to to like acknowledge how great Maxi is and like yeah he needs more responsibility but it's like until Harden really like you know turns back into Nets Harden or Embiid is hurt or it's like Maxi is the third option on this team like that is the correct order um I think he'd be best deployed like you said without either of those two guys like every minute those two guys rest should be the Maxi show like you know that's just how it should work but um he's not leading him in scoring way too hot He's not making an all-star team. Oh, he's not making an all-star team. No, I, I don't. It's well, because if he makes it like Embiid and Harden have to be on it too, right? Barring injury, like barring injury is the caveat that runs through all this, but like he's their third best player. Is he going to, is he going to make it with two other Sixers at the rate things are going? It's hard to see. I guess that's a fair point. Uh, <laughs> this next one from Darkwing Duck, Denver won't win 45 games, too hot or not. That's way too hot. Um, no, thank you. I thought it was way too hot too. They're four and three through seven. That's a 46 win pace. And everyone would agree that the Nuggets have been disappointing so far. So like, again, barring injury, if Jokic gets hurt, all bets are off. But um, like, this is, this is a 50 win team. It's just, you know, I, I don't know how they get under 45 is way too hot. What is most concerned you about the Nuggets right now? Jamal Murray doesn't look uh, like he's very close to back to me. Like just he, I, I will say though, like, I do like, I love KCP's fit. He, he missed some time with an ankle. I think he's kind of the perfect two for that team. Um, but Murray just like, and maybe it'll come and it's unreasonable to expect more, but I think the combination of Murray, like not really getting a lot of separation, not looking quick, um, most of the time he has moments um, combined with Jokic kind of not being that aggressive as a scorer for a lot of the season so far is like, I don't know if I'd say that concerns me, um, but like those aren't great. Those aren't great uh, signals, especially with Murray. Cause I do think for the nuggets to sort of be what the most optimistic outlooks for them were, which is to say they're like a, could be a team that makes the finals. Like Murray just has to be, pretty close to bubble Murray and MPJ has to be, you know, on the absolute shortest list of, of like high volume three point shooters this year, which could happen. 
Um, but then you still have all the questions about, about like, can we build a defense that wins playoff series around Jokic, you know, against the best offenses? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're really good. Denver's really good. And I think they both, they should get better. The Murray stuff, I think it's way too early to say. Like, oh, never offense, been. despite his struggles, the defense yeah. bottom five and points allowed per possession. That's, that's troubling for sure. For sure. Uh, the final one, and I didn't add this until the last minute. Uh, so it's good that you're actually, it's up to you to throw it to me first. So. <laughs> I have to go look at it again. I somehow like didn't copy and paste all these. All right, this is from Kilhaas. Flattened lottery odds and the play-in tournament have worked to curb tanking. And going forward, most teams will attempt quick one- to two-year rebuilds rather than trying to bottom out. Long-term egregious tanking like the process is dead. I love this. T- I love this take. It's not too hot. And you want to know why? I think it's reflected, yes, the lottery odds in the play-in tournament, it does make it sort of prohibitive to go the long-term tanking route or at least dissuades it a little bit or incentivizes you not to however you want to frame it the other thing is just like you need to look at how quickly title windows are opening and closing around the nba where you're not it's different if you're going through a long-term tank to open what you believe is this seven to 12 year window that does not exist anymore look what happened in brooklyn specifically look what happened with the lakers surrounding lebron and anthony davis like these title windows are opening and closing in a flash even look you know, we joke about the heat and Cleveland, like LeBron, oh, he did his four-year cycles there and then just leaves. Like those title windows closed. Like even the Warriors had to take two gap years to reopen theirs. And yeah, there were injuries that are part of it, but that is also the answer to that. There's injuries. Players are leaving, getting unhappy. Things implode behind the scenes like we see in Brooklyn. And I think that's going to go into it. The trade-off is no longer, oh, we're trying to open something that is just going to endure for a decade or more. And why do you want to throw away X amount of years on tanking. And even I, the final thing I'll say, we got to change the definition of what tanking is. It seems like it's thrown around with this like casualness that isn't deserved. I mean, OKC is an example. Yeah, they've, they've done like shut down tanks. They've done that for two years now. It's been two years and they've yet to do it this season. And you can say like, oh, well, look at who's on their team. Well, those are all, there's a, sh- a shit ton of legitimate prospects now. Like when you have, yeah, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy, it's not their fault Chet Holmgren gets injured. Now, do I think that they've done midseason tank jobs? For sure. I don't think we've seen anything as egregious over the course of a year as we've seen from teams in the past. Like just uh, the Sixers, of course, but just other teams and how it felt like from the beginning, we were always setting out to tank. Now maybe the Spurs and the Jazz were trying to do that this year and they they fell ass backwards into being like competitive. Uh probably the Jazz more so than the than the Spurs, but even the Jazz it's like I know this team was accidental because like you didn't acquire any of those players on purpose. You wanted the picks for Rudy Gobert and even Royce O'Neal and then Donovan Mitchell specifically, but you looked at the roster it was like, well this team can't suck because it has good right. players. They're just going to demolish it at some point. So I I love this take because I agree with it and I don't think it's too hot. It might, it might sound too hot to people. Some people, I just, I don't think it it is. Yeah. I don't think it's too hot. I think the only way that changes is if like the thunder go, you know, in two years begin like an eight year run of where they're a 50 game winning team, you know, when it's, if it's very clear that like Houston would be another one that, you know, it's still, it's crazy because they've been going on for so long or it feels like, but if, if they work, then maybe not. And I don't think you're going to see the end to like what Portland did last year, where it's like, we have a key injury the second half of the year, like screw it. We're, we're going to shut it down. Like that's going to linger. And I think that probably should linger because that's just the smart move, but the process stuff. Yeah. I think there's a chance that just the flattened lottery odds alone, I think just, you know, did a lot of work to, 
to kind of end that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, not too hot, which, which is maybe that will surprise people. I don't know. Um, that's all we have, I think, unless you'd like to add, I guess I'll take us we out. So much that I'm probably going to split this into like two different. Oh yeah. We went long. Um, that's okay. That's what we do. Um, so guys, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, that's going to do it. I hope you will all remember to, uh, let us know what you think on Twitter, all of our socials, YouTube, anywhere you'd like to comment and offer an opinion. Hopefully it's positive. If it's not positive, let us know anyway, so we can do a better job. Uh, follow us on socials, join the discord, the link for which is in the YouTube and podcast uh, descriptions, download, subscribe, five stars, everything on Apple, Spotify, do it twice. If they'll let you, um, help us build this community. Uh, so rate, review, everything, do all that stuff, subscribe, tell your friends and, and also your enemies, um, so that we can convert them into your friends by, with all of our great takes. Uh, and I'll, you know, I want to say one last thing, actually two last things today. Uh, sorry, Jared Allen, I was wrong about you and, uh, Godspeed, Steve Nash. <laughs> also shout out Frank Nielakina, who just God. remains perfect in every single way. <laughs>